But I want you to know that what the Lord is demanding of us right now has a lot to do with not just us um, getting healed from the perspective that we understand that he wants us to feel good. He wants us to be at peace. He wants us to be whole. He wants us to have the cricket ways in our lives made straight. He wants all of this. But the thing about healing is that healing primarily must be experienced internally because your circumstances on the outside may never change. For example, we talked about um, last week, we talked a lot about grief. Grief um, is, a, is a process and you could be grieving for a very long time. However, grief, your situation that caused you to grieve, especially as it relates to death and loss, those people that were lost, those people that are no longer here, they won't be coming back into the earth realm. So that circumstance may not change. So our goal is to figure out how to access that healing on the inside of us and to be vulnerable in that part so that we can continue to be prosperous in the things that God has for us. Because not always will our situations change. What changes is our inner man. What changes is our response. What changes is how we see things. What changes is how we think. And as long as we can hold on to that, we're in a good place to really be able to heal. We've been talking a little bit about um, the, the, the issue of sin, and we've discussed it to the point of understanding that sin isn't just a list of things that we point out that God hates. We know that there are things that God despises and, and anything that is um, what we consider just atrocious or just even lying. We know these things are true. So we're not discounting anything about sin. What we're saying is sin is identifiable in this way, but the word we use for sin is actually translated as missing the mark. And we've been understanding this because it's meaning that we are off course. So if there's sin in your lives, the way the Lord sees that is that you're off course from me. Whatever you're doing that is a sin is keeping you from being on the path that I have set for you. So the Lord is always looking at ways to reconcile our path. He's always looking for ways to cause us to make our way straight so that we'll be able to follow any breadcrumb, any road sign, any bright light, any crumb, if all we can see are crumbs, anything to put us in his path. So this is why we're moving in this direction, because if we can see sin this way, then we can understand that, that, that God points out sin and error in our lives for one reason and one reason only, and that is to help us make our way straight. He's not pointing it out to kill you, to condemn you, to make you feel bad, to make you feel like a dirty rag. People do those things, but God's reasons are completely different. So if you see someone in whatever situation you deem is sin, when you look at them through the eyes of God, what you're looking at is, oh my God, they're off path. 
Oh my goodness, they're on the wrong road. What can I do, God, to help them get back on the, on the right path, on the right road? Love sees it that way. So when, you, when you're sin conscious, coming out of a religious place, you have this bat in your hand, bad, 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 horrible, horrible. And some of those sins might very be in that place. But we have to remember that at the end of the day, God is yet trying to woo even the worst sinner. So I hope that that part is clear because if not, you'll miss the heart of what the conservatory is trying to bring. How, but this is why God sent Jesus because he knew that the grace, the grace of God would be gift. Because law, the sin, the law of sin and death wasn't able to do it. It was just too hard for people to follow the rules. So the Lord instead said, I'm going to use this pattern of grace, which, which is more counterintuitive to the things that people get wrong. So, okay, I know you did this, Teresa, but I'm here to help you get back on the path. I'm not just going to kill you and zap you up like I've done before. I'm not saying your sin might not cost you your life because it could. If I told you not to drink and you're drinking and you get on the highway and you cause an accident, Teresa, then, you know, you could die and you might kill people. But if you're still alive, I'm here saying that was horrible, but there is this chance for you to counter-correct your thinking. You can change, Teresa. You can change. So we have to get to this place where we understand the purpose of us pointing out sin and making evil known because we need to know how to direct ourselves. We need to know how to align ourselves. We need to know where to stand so that we are on that path toward the Lord. So we must maintain that clarity within the conservatory, among conservators, as we talk about healing. Also, we talked about healing from the perspective of understanding God's love for us. You know, it is healthy to see sin from the perspective we've been teaching. Sin to God is anything that blocks the light of life from us. Anything that blocks his ability to love us fully. Anything that blocks his word from entrance into us, into action. Anything that keeps us outside of his will is a sin. Whether it's things you're doing in the natural or the things people can't see that's going on in your heart. So we, we want to make absolutely sure that sin to God is not, a, is, a, is not about just right and wrong. It's about access. God wants access to us. And so sin is such an issue to him because sin blocks access. It blocks access. It's just you got God can't see you. <laughs> you know, he, he can't get to you. We're out of his line of view. We're out from under the shadow of his wings. We're, we're not in a place of protection. So seeing sin as God sees it matters. This is why learning about Jesus is so important. This is why Jesus didn't go to the woman at the well and just start spewing out everything. God showed me this and God showed me that. And 
It's why he didn't go to Paul and start saying, your heart ain't right to all our Christians and you the devil. You kick it, you killing people and we just curse you. And this why God doesn't do that in the new covenant. We have to understand what happened. The law of sin and death would have, you know, zapped people up, earthquakes. It would, it, you know, it would have done what it did back then. And I'm not just saying this out of my head. Those that have been walking with the conservatory, we've read through the book of Romans. We've read through the book of Hebrews. We've seen the things that I'm sharing with you right now in plain sight. This isn't revelation. This is straight scripture. It's the logos of the word. It's the logos. And then when you run revelation around it, all you're going to see is the revealing of God's heart. You're going to see intention. Because at the end of the day, as we continue to discuss family matters in the midst of healing, you're going to see that all God wants is for his family to be together, together. So if you're in sin, know that you're in a position for God to reveal love to you, not hate. If you're in a dark, dark place emotionally, know that you are in the perfect position for the light of God to shine. The scripture tells us that where darkness is, grace abounds so much more. And that's the place we have to be because when we're in darkness, there's nothing we can do. The only thing we can do is turn to God. The last resort that we have in our minds is really the first resort before God. We should turn to him first, not last. But sometimes the darkness in our lives cause it to be in reverse. That's why we have a lot of these last minute salvations. That's why people are, are near death experiences, wake them up to spirituality. Because sometimes, you know, we have to be in the midst of, of that chastisement that comes by way of love to recognize what it is that the Lord really wants from us. So I want to just encourage you in that area. Reconciliation is healing. I know we have a lot of terminology for healing, but the Bible calls healing reconciliation. It's the restoration of all things, not just all things in heaven, but all things in the earth. And that includes you. Reconciliation is what is made new. Old things pass away. All things become new, even your healing. So every day we're moving into a place of reconciliation in our physical body. When I pray for myself sometimes, I'm like, God, I, I, I just declare that my body is ordered as you created it to be from the foundations of the world before I, my spirit even enter into this earth realm. I, you know, I just pray alignment to my body. I declare that by the stripes of Jesus, I was already healed. And, you know, we just begin to declare those things over ourselves because reconciliation takes place in my body and it takes place in my mind. One of the most excellent examples of reconciliation is the mind of Christ. Lord, I renew my mind. I need the mind of Christ is our gift of reconciliation to the human condition. Our thought processes. 
Because, you know, I talk to you a lot about those crazy inner conversations that people have. If you cussing yourself out in your head all the time, how do you expect life? Because the scripture tells us as a man thinketh, so is he. So if I give instructions to people I'm mentoring, I need you to read this list of beliefs every day. Can you read um, Matthew 5, 6, and 7? Can you go through these scriptures? God didn't tell me that, but he did because the leader with you just instructed you. So little things like that. And you know, there are people who don't believe they can read a scripture unless the Lord gives them that scripture personally. <laughs> I, I've, I've, listen, I've had people tell me that. I am not joking. That's a true story. So I just want you to know that one of the most excellent ways of, of understanding healing is as simple as recognizing that the mind of Christ that is within you that we have access to is the healing of our mind. What, is that, what does that mean? The Lord is saying mature. The Lord is saying come into a place of fullness. The Lord is saying be accountable to where you are. The Lord is saying, raise your thought processes. The Lord is saying, come out of Lodabar, you know, in Egypt, come out of those dark places on the inside of you. But apostle, you just don't understand. I'm going through so much. All I have to say to you is fight. Fight for your mind. Fight for your joy. Because if you're not fighting, you know, we, we God carries us in those moments. But at some point, we have to say, I'm going to fight to live. I, I don't care how bad I'm hurting. I'm going to live. I don't care how messed up my mind is because we all know that, that mental conditions can be mine. You want to be okay. But, but the struggle of the mind for some people is so difficult. But every day you're fighting. I think about Legion when he was chained up and he, you know, all possessed by all of those spirits. And the scripture tells you a little bit about his background, that he'd been in that condition a long time. But somehow his true self identified Jesus when Jesus presented. His true self rose up in that moment amidst all the chaos happening inside his mind. And he was able to receive the mind of Christ for his healing. He did it without a prayer before. He did it without a, an invitation. He believed on the inside of him in a moment. And his whole world changed. Oh my God. That's all the Lord is asking for us is to believe. So this is just a recap. Just a recap because I really, really want us to know that these principles and these things that we're talking about can work because they're right there in the scripture. There's no formula per se. Our formula is to believe God with the little bit of faith that you have. Our formula is to mature our faith. Our formula is to trust that God is for us even when all hell is breaking loose around you. Oh gosh. Sin to God is simply not being good. There are a lot of believers that think they're okay because they're not doing the bad stuff, right? <laughs> they're not doing all the things they see. I'm not like them. 
Some Pharisees said that and got rebuked in the new covenant. You Listen, we all have things that God is working with. So sin to God is about the Lord wanting us to be like him and us resisting him. This is very important. If you resist what God wants, you're in sin, right? If you resist what God wants from you, you're missing the mark. I remember, um, I don't remember whether it was David or Samuel. I think it was David, but one of them said this. They said, God forbid if I did not pray for you. And then he went on to say, I have to pray for you because God commanded it. And in that instance, we understand that to not pray for someone that God tells you to pray for is a sin. I'm, I'm just giving you some examples if you want to pick and nitpick sin as we have done, myself included. God forbid if I do not pray for you in a very specific situation that was being addressed in that passage. Oh, it's just a powerful passage if you read it in context. It's literally somebody that, that didn't really want to pray but realized they had to pray because the unction of the spirit told them to pray and they recognized in a moment that it would be a sin if they did not. Now, I hope that people don't take that and say, it's a sin not to pray for this and not, but no, that's not what that passage means because there are people right now praying for things that is not a burden for you. It's not a burden for me, but for them, that's their burden. And to not obey God in that area for them would be sinful. Oh, wow. I don't let people condemn me. Everybody need to be praying for X, Y, and Z. Nope, not so. I can pray for what the Lord leads me to pray for. I don't have to pray your prayer list. <laughs> I mean, hey, you pray your prayer list. And if you got a little crew, that's what y'all do because y'all in the same company. Nothing wrong with being in the same company. People are generally in the same mind. So you do that. I don't have to. So we have to break free of those kinds of things or we'll find ourselves doing things that are not assigned to us, assigned to us. Listen, I'm just being myself. So we just keep going. We have to understand that the Lord points out sin in our lives to make room for him to habitate. I'm going to say that again. If God is pointing out sin in your life, he's only doing it to make room for himself to habitate. I'm going to say it again. If God is dealing with you with any area of sin in your life, he's doing that to make room for himself. So important. This will help you not walk in condemnation. This will help you not hold on to guilt for things that you have done that are now in the past. This will help you be free of things that people want to constantly remind you of that in truth are over because you've already been forgiven. Oh my God, my God, my God. 
Be healed. Be free. Huh. I love grace. And the church has so misunderstood it. They think, they think teachings on grace are to make us lascivious, are to dismiss sin, to, to elevate love is to dismiss the dirt. That's what people think. But I understand now that it's because people don't understand what sin is. If you understand that the only reason the prophet points out sin is so that we know how to navigate, it changes things. If the prophet identifies crooked places in your life, it's because God wants to make room to love you, not to shame you. Changes the message. It changes our position. It changes and it breaks the back of religion. Snaps it in half. Oh my God. Listen, confession of sin is important. Listen, this is this is this is critical. Confession of sin is important because it shows God that we see ourselves and we're convicted by what we see. Somebody will catch that and get free today. Forgive yourself. I mean, oh, confession of sin is important because it shows God that we can be convicted. In other words, it shows God that he has entrance into you. Oh my God. Oh. Confession is not you dragging yourself to the altar because you think you're going to hell. That's not it in the new covenant. I'm sorry. Because you're guilty now. You're guilty. You're, you're doing it because of fear. Grace doesn't require that of you anymore. That's what they were doing under the, under the law of sin and death. In the new covenant, confession of sin is surrender. I'm just throwing up the white flag. I give up. My way is not working. This path is not profitable to me. I don't lost a few teeth over it. I've amputated a leg and an arm. I've had enough. I see the error of my ways now. So I'm confessing because of conviction. Conviction is beautiful because it means that you now are discerning between righteousness and unrighteousness. You're creating entrance. You're making room. You're choosing now to make room for God. Oh my God. To God, confession is the opening of the heart to him and it's the opening of the heart before others in the faith for the purpose of reconciliation. Oh my goodness. Lord, help us. 
If we let religion teach us, we'll be crying under a rock and crying a river for the next 50 years of our lives. Oh my God. We'll be guilty every day. Not realizing I'm still here, so God must have moved on. <laughs> oh God, I, I, I just conservators. I just want us to be immersed. I want us to get out of the circus teachings. And, and I want you to know that most people live in law and they live in death. They mean well. They believe they're teaching right. But when God begins to, because I got tired of feeling guilty. I got tired of people holding my past against me. I got tired of people saying, you need to be softer. You're, you're too hard. But there, you know, there's compassion for everybody except the leader, right? And God had to minister to me. He said, if you've done everything that you can, move on. It's not just on you and your family to make things right. It's not just on you and your friendships to make things right. All you have to make right after you've done what I've said, Teresa, is make it right with me. I hope you're catching this. If you told mama you were sorry, if you told your children you were uh, I'm sorry for how bad your parenting was, if you, and you meant it, and you were convicted, and you confessed, you've done your best in that situation. If you have changed, which is what repent means, if you have changed, if repent means change that sticks. Let me rephrase that. It's the kind of change that sticks with you, right? It's not temporary change. True repentance is change that changes you. It's change that changes you. So if you've got all of these things in place, then the only thing left for you to do is figure out how to move forward. It's permanent. Absolutely. It's increasing. Oh, my God. That's why God loves repentance. Because when we repent in the new covenant, that word means, means change, lasting change. It doesn't mean I'm sorry I did that. Because apologies don't really mean anything unless full change comes with it. And the old covenant was, a, was more apologetic. New covenant is change is change forever. It is permanent. It is permanent. It is permanent. Oh, okay. Yeah, we're still talking about healing, but these are some foundations that we need. <laughs> God loves it when we are quick to repent, which is lasting change, because it shows him that we are broken before him. Always ready for him to enter our heart and set our course straight. Repentance is not just a spiritual law of return. If I repent, God forgives. It's not just that. When you repent, I'm teachable, Lord. I'm ready to learn the right way. Because change means I'm exploring a new path. 
Repentance means I'm turning things around. It means I have goals that I'm going for. We have to start to see repentance for what it is and why God loves it so much. Why he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Change your ways for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Change, turn around, do things differently. Follow the correct path because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Don't miss the mark anymore because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Do things the way Christ said because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That is what repentance is. Repent doesn't just mean stop it. Listen, there are a lot of us that stop things outwardly that we still long for inwardly. And to God, it's the same thing. You may as well do it because it's in your heart anyway. Y'all know that's true. So you stopping the outward thing, but you battling it all day in your heart. And God sees, he's let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, oh Lord. So God is seeing all those things inwardly that we pretend and we let go outwardly. <laughs> it's crazy how religion got us and how we don't see things the way we should see them. Oh my goodness. Oh, so God loves repentance because repentance in Greek means a turnaround, total change, permanent change. And when we decide to do it, and this is the beautiful part, when we decide to do it, it means we're choosing God. How beautiful is that? He wants to be chosen so that his habitation can have free will in us. So if you can see repentance, not the Bible thumping repentance, that's not what we want in the new covenant. Oh my God. This is why I don't teach on certain things because it's taught out of the wrong mind. It's not taught out of the mind of Christ. Repentance is actually open arms in the new covenant. It says, come to me, you who are heavy laden. Come to me. It's the Lord saying, I'm ready to forgive you. I'm ready to help you heal that situation in your life. It's not, oh, look at all that sin. Oh, I just want you to see. That in the mind of Christ, that's why Christ could go to the cross and say, forgive them, Lord, for they know not what they do. Because he had a higher understanding of confession, of repentance, and most of all, covenant love, ahava. Oh, my goodness. God loves when we are quick to repent. What in the world does this have to heal it? Have to do with healing? It does everything. When we get to this next part, it'll be clear. We seek forgiveness not just because we don't want to hurt or we don't want to hold on to grudges and offense, 
but because we want our hearts turned toward a loving God. We want our hearts turned toward a loving God. That's why we want to give, give up what blocks us from loving him. Not just what blocks him from having entrance, but what blocks us from keeping him out. Oh, goodness. We want nothing to hinder our reconciliation. Changing our repentance is understanding that a lack of forgiveness is as much a sin as anything else we lay before him. To God, unforgiveness is a choice. And we must do our work to overcome it. That's why we're going to have more teaching on this later in the month because we need to break this thing down. We need to go deeper into it. You know, I was so blessed to meet someone that had a ministry of forgiveness. You'll never hear somebody calling themselves the minister of forgiveness. I, in my whole life, I've not met one person who believes that's their calling until most recently. <laughs> it's crazy. It ain't popular. It, it's not, people think they can just pray a forgiveness prayer, go see a therapist and that's it. <laughs> they don't see it as a ministry of reconciliation at the level we need it. We teach forgiveness from the perspective of what has been done to us, what has happened to us. We teach it from the perspective of offense. But we don't often teach it from a perspective and understanding, I need God to forgive me for the offenses I've committed against him. We don't see it like that. I got a right to be mad. That's what we tell God. I'm mad with you, God, because you didn't. I'm like, what the what? The what? Oh, my goodness. We don't see it like that because we're selfish people. That's why we did this whole series on the life of God. That's why we did this series on the prayer life of Jesus. We probably need to do one on the life of Jesus. We need to do one on the life in the spirit. Because we have been offensive to God. And it affects our ability to heal. It affects our ability to move past our family relationships. Listen, everything about God, according to Psalm 51 and 10, is about your heart. I love Psalm 51 and 10. It says, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Oh, my God, create in me a pure heart, oh God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Forgive me, Father, for holding on to offense, for holding on to unforgiveness, because that's my choice. And by doing so, I am separating myself from your presence and your ability to love me in that place. 
My right to be angry is superseding my love for you. I am elevating myself above your love. Oh my God, create in me, oh God, a pure heart. My right to remember everybody that did me wrong. My right to remember what you did and I can't forgive you because you just like everybody else. My right to not work it out because I just think you should be the one that steps up and makes the first. I mean, my God. When are we going to mature and take responsibility of maybe being the person that might understand it differently than someone else. We don't all see everything the same way. So unrenewed mama has an issue with renewed daughter, but renewed daughter is waiting on unrenewed mama to ask to, for, to, to say, I'm sorry. Oh my God, that's all backwards. Renewed daughter should say, I forgive you, unrenewed mother, and be able to work it out with God to let it go because you understand that unrenewed mother can understand things of the spirit. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. We have to find that place in our own lives because if we're waiting on unrenewed or super religious mama, daddy, grandpa, sister, brother, whoever to get it, well, we may never, ever, ever receive it. But you who understand to, much, to whom much is given, much is required. Unfortunately, it's not fair, but all the work would, will be on you. You have to become the epitome of who, of love for the people that have offended you within your family that you still have relationship with. Oh, I hope this is making sense. This is why God loves confession of sin. I recognize that I don't want to be nice to them, God. I recognize that I don't want to change my heart concerning them because of what they did to me. I confess. So what I am doing, because I am the person who knows better, I am becoming sinful in my own process of healing. Oh, God, somebody's going to get this. And I believe it's going to bless you and change your life. How do I let go? You fight to let go. But they did, they, I said, I know what they did. Move yourself out of the way and come to me, daughter. And say, I confess, Lord, I'm having a hard time forgiving. And this is what the Lord is saying. That's all I need you to do. All I need you to do is be honest with me, Teresa, where you're at. And every day, try to work it out. And listen. It might be five years later, but here I am before mama. I'm not mad anymore. I, I'm weeping inside because I see that person can't help it anymore. I'm like having compassion because all I want now is for them to be saved. Oh my goodness. God can do it. I had a situation recently where 
I've had people come back to me after 40 years and say they're sorry. But they're doing it for their own healing now. I was healed 20 years ago. I, you know, I've moved on, so their apology means nothing to me. But listen, I appreciate it because I recognize my role in helping them find their healing place. So I sit and I say, I receive your apology. Thank you for saying that. I'm so sorry I did this to you, sister. I'm so sorry I did this to you, brother. And I'm 30 years later healed, 15 years later healed, all because of God, not because of their apology. Someone asked me, do people always have to apologize to you in order for you to receive healing? No, not for you to be healed. They never have to apologize for you to be healed for the healing aspect, right? Because healing is between you and the Lord. First, not saying God doesn't want to come along and heal relationships. He does. But what's most important is that you, the Father and the Son and Holy Spirit are standing in agreement. <laughs> you know, healing is inward first. It's inward first. Creating me a pure heart, oh God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Matthew 12, 34 and 35. You brood of vipers. He, of course, we know when he says that Jesus is talking to scribes and Pharisees. So how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. I love this passage. I know how people teach it. But I just want to give you this hint in your healing, especially when it comes to family things it, or, or, or any relationship, really. But if the only thing you're thinking about when you see a person is how they hurt you, the question is, how can I get healed and what am I holding on to? What am I holding on to? How can I get healed? Because the evil is not just cussing people out. It's not just bad words. To God, this means things you hold on to that are so painful and you can't let them go. I don't mean... I know that there are some atrocious things that people do. So I'm not talking about that humanistic forgiveness where you go and hang out with your rapist, where you go and hang out with the person that beat you within an inch of your life. That's foolishness. We're not talking about that, okay? I read an article in the newspaper um, yesterday where this grandpa was given four consecutive life sentences for generational sexual abuse within the family. And I was reading the article and I was reading it to somebody I was talking to on the phone. I was reading the article to them and at the bottom of the article, one lady said, we had to break this generational curse. And my heart grieved because I'm like, that's not a generational curse. 
That's a man left to abuse people that was not held accountable. Had he been accountable when he raped the first family member, it never would have got to the point where it moved all the way down to great grandchildren. It never would have happened. That is not a generational curse. That's generational complacency. Not a curse. We have to hold people accountable. We have to do our part in families. I was grieved by that. Because now a mom, an older mom, is now having to stand before a courtroom and scapegoat her own responsibility and not even see it. When those kids told you what was going on, what did you do? Nothing. He was allowed to do that. I, 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 you know, I, I went off course, but here we go. 34, brutal vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? I want us to see this, this in a very simplistic way. That word evil is just our translation. But let's say it like this. How can you being unrighteous speak good things? How can you making bad decisions and choices and choosing evil at every opportunity speak good things? This is subtle and it's also very deep. How subtle is it? Well, if you're bad mouthing yourself all the time, then it's gonna be very hard to speak abundance out of your mouth at the same time. Bitter and sweet water can flow from the same fountain, right? But a good man out of his treasure house of his heart brings forth good things. So if we're cultivating our healing, God, this is just where I'm at. I'm still real angry. I'm not able to get past. You're, you're cultivating. You might, and, and I'm sharing this because some of you will feel guilty because you feel like you can't forgive. But what the Lord wants you to know is you be vulnerable before him and he's covering you in your process of forgiving. But you have to be honest with God. God, I hate this person. I hate what they did to me. I want them dead. Lord, I, that's the truth. God only wants the truth from us. God can deal with your truth. What he can't deal with is your lie. You're pretending. This is why confession is good because confession is I hate them. I'm mad. How can I forgive mama? She didn't protect me. How can I forgive dad? He didn't protect. How can I forgive the pastor? How can I? He wants truth in your healing process. I want you to know that your true feelings expressed before God, no matter how carnal they may seem, are spiritual to God because it's true. While you're in your process of crying out. Oh my God. And you'll feel the presence of God sometimes when that journal is filled up with every ugly thing you ever wanted to say. Then the Lord will tell you, tie that page up, burn the journal. Oh my goodness. God can take it. Guess why he can take it? Because it's before him anyway in your heart. 
is already before him. He already sees it. It's already there. It's funny to me sometimes. I don't want to put that in a book because I want to represent. Listen, it's already in the book. You are a living epistle. It's already in the book. God is already reading it. You writing it on a piece of paper is just a formality. I mean, let, let's just be real. It's just a formality. People are funny. Stuff in our head doesn't line up with reality. Oh my goodness. Me confessing to God how I feel is good treasure. Because it's confession. It's repentance. And it's the precipice of change. It's the threshold of breakthrough. It is good. No more guilt in our healing process. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. We have emotions for a reason. It's so the boiling pot, pot doesn't explode. The pressure cooker doesn't unhinge you out of your mind. A lot of mental illness exists because people have held so much on the inside that they have not processed. But God is the entrance. And when we don't process, our mind splits. It looks for chemical ways to heal itself. Oh my goodness. Wow. I just want us to be in this place where we understand the power of the heart and that we know the heart is the only thing God looks at. You are not what you did. You are what your heart your heart position determines who you are. I'm just going to skip. I was going to read something from Ruth, but I'm not going to do that because we don't have time. I just want to go real quick to um, 1 Samuel, not 1 Samuel, but yeah, 1 Samuel 16. And I just want us to look at this real quick. It's a family matter. We were going to look at Ruth about a family matter too that I think is overlooked, but we're going to take a chance and, and look at David. Everybody who's ever been in the church any amount of time has heard this talk. So this is not any different from those. First Samuel 16. Now the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. And I am sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. This isn't about Samuel. We'll address that part later. But the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do and you shall anoint for me the one I named to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled to his, at his coming and said, do you come peace, peaceably? 
Now, I just want to say here, just keep in mind that this is the same place that Christ would be born. So this is to me a, a major prophetic act. But that's that's another story. It's profound to me anyway. But and he said, peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come to me to the sacrifice. Then he considered Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Now, in this time, the people worship like a lot of religions of that time by, you know, slicing animals and putting them on altars. So in this respect, Christianity, well, not Christianity, but Judaism wasn't that different from a lot of religions happening. But the difference maker we know is that they were serving the only true and living God. You know, that we know that they were serving the father. So they're inviting them to this very religious and sacrificial environment. The first thing that I noticed was the fact that he said he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them. If this is a holy feast and a holy festival, if this is that that's taking place just for this family, if this is a time for the whole family, why wasn't everybody included from the start? This is the most important thing that believers did in this time was be in a place where they could sacrifice at an altar. And the sons were there, except for one. They didn't even bother to go get that one. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Verse seven, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature. I want you all to see this. God isn't looking at the outside of anything. He really is not. People do. People do. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. This isn't the only place you will find this. There are hundreds of scriptures in the Bible on how God sees the heart. We need to read them. They all support this. And they support grace. Grace. God knows who he created. The scripture even tells us that he knows what we need before we even ask. That can only happen if God knows who he created. If he knows the intimate details of those he decided to put in the earth around. Oh my goodness. But here we are. Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outer appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God is searching for your heart, not your habits and actions. We all need to recognize this, especially under grace. Everybody is going to hit their head, get it wrong, say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing. Everybody on the job in the family, raising kids, it's going to happen. There is not a person I know that don't have a mama story or a daddy's story or a grandma's story or something that wasn't right in a moment. 
or over a period of time. If you do, you're rare. Everybody falters. So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, and, and listen, and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, are these all the young men here? They're at a place of sacrifice. And they left out one. They left out one. Family matters. Family matters like it. family counts. Family is important. And family matters as family situations and circumstances and things happening. Both sides of family matters sit here. The only when he was asked did he say, there remains yet the youngest. And there he is keeping the sheep. Completely overlooked. Completely discounted. Completely not invited to the sacrifice. Completely on the outside of everybody else. And Samuel said to Jesse, send for and bring him. For we will not sit down until he comes. Oh my God. Ah, ah, ah. The point is just very simple. He asked for all of his sons and he only brought the ones he wanted to bring to a holy celebration. You know, this father did this. Many of us have trouble in our families because we haven't been the ones chosen. The ones seen the ones counted. And we ask ourselves every day, God, when is this gonna change? I really wanna be a part of my family. I wanna feel included, but they treat me differently. I am on the outside. Mama don't treat me right. Daddy don't treat me right. They make sideways comments. My siblings act funny. Even my nieces and nephews don't seem like they want anything to do with me. And here we are fighting to be included in something where people have already made their, up their mind and their decisions. And we want them to see and change. We want to force them to honor and respect us. Is blood thicker than water? People ask that question. People say, family over everything. <laughs> Yeah, if you're not in the kingdom, that might apply because that's all you know. You're on the side of not knowing what the real family of God is like. You're on the other side of that. <laughs> so yeah, family over everything. No. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him. For we will not sit down till he comes here because there's a higher calling. 
Samuel understood a higher calling. He understood something more than what Jesse understood. First of all, Jesse didn't even follow direction. I mean, had he followed directions, it wouldn't have had to come to this. There's always somebody thinking something differently concerning you. And there's always somebody that has you in mind. And that's the Lord. There's always somebody who hasn't forgotten. There's always a good father. And we have to grow to believe that. Absolutely. We have to change how we think about God. The life of God is different. We are different. Some of us are married and we're married to people that can't stand God. But when we married them, we neither one of us could stand him. <laughs> but one person grows into loving God and the other person doesn't. What needs to happen is a greater compassion for the person that's still waiting for their encounter. Family matters. Family matters. Oh, God. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ready, meaning beat up looking, unkept, not all cleaned up, which is probably why they left him out there. With bright eyes, you know, probably adventurous, probably not agreeing with everybody else, what everybody else is doing, always doing his, his own thing. Huh. You never know. And I'm going to go look at the footnote. And... um. So, yeah, so they're saying he was good-looking, attractive. They could have been jealous. <laughs> Let's see what else is down here. Yeah, they, they were, they, you don't know, you never know what's going on. We'll never know that situation. But they thought enough of the scripture to point it out. That's the point I'm trying to make. He was ready. He had bright eyes and he was good-looking. I don't think anything is added just to be added. There's a reason for that. The reason why Samuel made sure that was included in this story. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. It came upon him it didn't dwell in him. Nobody had the indwelling until the new covenant, but the spirit was with him, hovering around. Very, very, very important. This is significant because why? So many of us are still waiting on our family to acknowledge us. David's family never did. We're still waiting on our family to recognize that they didn't acknowledge us. They don't see a problem with it. They have their own justification. There are a lot of things that goes on in families that we feel as if 
We have to get closure concerning, and we're expecting all of those things from family. I'm here to tell you that it may never happen. It may never happen. And whether it happens or not, will you be okay? Can you let go? Can you let go? Can you let go? Can you heal? Because the Lord really can do it without giving you what you want. And one day when you're least expecting it, you can have some strange experiences like I have or over the course of my life where people come into their own, they come to their senses as the scripture describes it. It says you rebuke your enemies kindly in the hope that they may come to their senses. That's what the scripture says. Now you may have to rebuke them from afar because sometimes we have to disconnect to these people. They, you know, they have to be rebuked from afar. You can't just be around them if they're abusing you and mistreating them. Sometimes you have to separate yourself so you grow beyond their offenses and beyond the places where the wounding has literally upset your life. But we get to this question that everybody asks, who, who is my family? Oh my goodness, I'm getting to that. The bottom line is this. When you are in the family that you were born into and there is no spiritual growth and spiritual development, I want you to know that that family is still likened unto the world system. So you love them. You help out because we learned last week or the week before at Bible study, not sure which, but we learned that God believes in taking care of blood family members. He believes in the family unit. He believes us doing what is required of us and what is necessary. So we know that. But what we have to understand is there's a part of this in which we have to elevate to the Christ mind and knowing that I am a part of this, he who, that I'm a part of this family, but I'm not in the family. Jesus said, I am a part of the world, but I'm not in it. In other words, I know where I am. And I know what is required of me, but my mind is in a different place. I dwell in heavenly places. They're not dwelling in heavenly places. So your family that you have is knitted to where you meet in heavenly places. Blood will never be thicker than water unless you're in your flesh. I don't know how to say that again. Blood will never be thicker than water be unless you're in your flesh. And I don't mean a separation of care. I don't mean hating your mother. Well, the scripture says whoever, whoever wants to follow God must first hate his mother and hate his father. Pull up that scripture for me, please, if you have it. I didn't pull it up here and I don't want to do a search. But I just want to, um, I want you to pull it up. Because the Bible says that. But it doesn't mean hate like hatred. It doesn't mean that. It just means that God wants you to choose the spirit 
over the natural. He wants you to choose what is better over what is less. For example, a perfect example. Um, yeah, you, you. let's see, this is, I think somebody pulled it up. Let me look at it. I want to be clear here because I don't want you thinking you disassociate or disown your family. I had to leave my family and leave them alone for a long time. Luke 14, 26 through 27. Okay, so there it is. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life in the sense of indifference to or relative disregard for them in comparison with his attitude toward God, he cannot be my disciple. In other words, to the Lord, choosing between spirit and blood is an issue of loyalty to his principles, to his way, and to what he wants from us, as opposed to what the world demands. Is that clear? This is so important. Because many of us are lured in and we're bound by obligation. We're lured in and we're bound because of, of, oh my God, they took care of me for 30 years. They raised me up from nothing. You can honor that, but you do not have to honor abuse. You do not have to honor mistreatment. And they will, and, and what I want them to understand, I want mama to love me. She may never be able to love you the way you expect. Let me heal you to a point where you are not hurting from it, but that you can see her brokenness and you can see mama's um, trouble that she's having. And you show God at every opportunity you can, at every opportunity you can, you show up for me in your relationship with your mother. I want to say that again. You show up for God in your relationship with your mother, with your father, with your sister, with your brother, with your aunt, with your uncle, with that niece, with that nephew, with that pet. You show up for God in that situation, not for them. Oh, that will free you. I can go to the family reunion now. I can hug grandma for all the good grandma ever did for me. And when, when I went somewhere yesterday, I went to a funeral and um, one of the people, relatives said to me, I ain't seen them in 30 years. They said to me, you don't look like us. Look, I, that used to bother me 30 years ago. I just, like I said, no, I look like my father's side of the family. I don't look like you all. And that's a good thing. That's what I said. There were a lot of little snide comments like that. And 30 years ago, I probably would have cussed them out. And I'm just being real. This is, this is just, I don't know how else to say it. And I'm sharing that with you because we need to see ourselves in the flesh that we are in. And it didn't even bother me. I was able to look at them with new eyes. New eyes. And I'm like, I sure wish you all, in my heart I'm saying, I sure wish you all knew the Lord like I did. 
I wish I could enter this family on the same level in the realm of the spirit. That is my longing and my hope now. But I meet them where they are. I can't be baited anymore. Doesn't bother me. <laughs> Family matters. Family matters. Family matters. Blood thicker than water. No, not in the spiritual sense. Now you're raising children. You're married, different context, right? You are, um, they're, so there are different contexts for things. You know, you don't, I don't have to be right in an argument. I can just say, I, you know, I hear your point of view and I can be quiet and I'm okay with that. We have to figure out where God shows up because my healing is before God. No matter what the situation is or the circumstance, my healing is always first before God. And listen to this, anything after that is a benefit. So if my family is reconciled, um, if I'm reconciled within myself and I'm not talking in different to the point where I just ain't dealing with them. I'm good. Not that kind of stuff. I'm talking about, because when you're really, really okay with the situation, you're really, really healed. You don't avoid people. Now, I mean, when you're, because you have to avoid people for a season, but when you are really healed, whether they show up or not, doesn't matter. There's nothing there to, to keep you from um, feeling any kind of way. One of the strangest things in the world that I've learned to recognize when I'm offended with people, it changes the whole atmosphere that I am in. We recognize the anointing, but I'm going to tell you something. You should be able to recognize offense because when you walk into a room with somebody you don't like, the whole atmosphere changes. And it's not necessarily them that's changing the atmosphere. If you are a spiritual person, you're probably shifting that atmosphere for the worse. And it's an internal challenge for us to be able to get to where we can shift the atmosphere to a place of peace in the presence of our enemy. Man, that attitude they had shifted the atmosphere. No, that atmosphere wasn't predicated on them. It was predicated on you because you are the believer. You are the one who knows better. If your heart was right, you could have entered that atmosphere and changed the atmosphere. Yeah, some people might not agree with that, but I promise you it's the truth. It's the truth. In many situations, it's the truth. But Father, I just thank you today for the word that you have released. I thank you for speaking into our hearts and minds in a practical way. I thank you for taking us through the scriptures. I thank you for causing us to see what it is that you want us to see today. And we just ask, Father, that we can be begin this healing journey by looking at what we present to you when we refuse to let things go, when we hang on to our right to feel the way we feel entitled to feel. But we declare, Father, that what we will do instead is open up our hands 
stand before you, declare how we're feeling and say, Lord, I want to not feel this way anymore. I don't know how not to be angry, but I trust that you will guide me because you don't want me to be angry. Father, this is why I feel this way. And that is why I feel this way. And I feel wrong about it, Lord God. I don't want to hate. I don't want to be mad, but I know that if I hold on to this, it is a sin before you and it blocks your entrance to me and it holds me from opening my heart to you. I want to do everything I can to keep my heart open because your word says that love covers a multitude of sins. This means, Father, that even as I'm working out this sin nature that's on the inside of me, if I'm working it out, in truth before you, you are covering me as I walk through it because I'm walking through it in you as your light shines and burns up everything in me that is not like you. Father, I thank you. I know I'm saved. I know I made that mistake. I know that I'm a daughter of the most high. I did it, but I don't wanna do it anymore. Show me how to humble myself, God. Bring me into this place of brokenness that I need. Cause me to re weep over my own condition. Touch my heart. Take this meanness away. Show me the root of it so that I can finally cut the root and let it go in Jesus' name. Why do I lash out? Why do I shut down the way that I do? Help me know why. Not that I can dig it out and find every devil behind it, but help me know why so that I can repent and change, that I can put action to it. Holy Spirit, alert me every time things are about to go south. You are my internal thermostat. You help me regulate my seasons. You help me regulate my temperature. Help me, Holy Spirit. You are my helper, my advocate. Lord, teach me how to be convicted. I move every barrier off of my heart, Lord, that prevents me from being convicted of my own actions that are sinful. I need conviction. Conviction is the first work of Holy Spirit on the inside of me. In Jesus' name, reconcile all of me to you, God all of me, my whole heart, not parts and pieces of it. Cause me to stand in that sacred place in Jesus' name. Father, I <laughs> praise God. So this, uh, the message blessed me and this is what Holy Spirit gave me. And I just want to bless everybody who's here it says, um, God is not offended with our bad days. He understands anger. He understands hurt and he understands disappointment. What blesses him is when his children have the emotional intelligence to articulate those feelings and experiences to him. By doing so, you have passed the burden unto him. After the burden is passed, Holy Spirit then begins to build upon the void inside of you where anger, where that hurt, and where that disappointment used to live. Look, so when, when Holy Spirit begins to build upon those voids that you now pass to the Father, 
what happens is then Holy Spirit begins to um, make those crooked places straight in your soulish realm by bringing to remembrance the word that will fill those voids that you have now passed to the Father. So instead of you walking in unforgiveness, he's now reminding you um, to release unforgiveness. He's reminding you to know, look to the hills from which cometh your help, for all of your help comes from me. He's then reminding you, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. He's reminding you that no weapon formed against you shall prosper, and all those who rise up against you shall fall. He's reminding you to walk by faith and not by sight, and and as you are beginning to allow these scriptures to come alive in you, you begin to hear. Now, if God be for me, who can be against me? And then you wake up and you recognize, you know what, that anger I had towards that person in that situation is gone because the Holy Spirit has made those crooked places straight and I'm no longer focused on the offense. Hallelujah. I am now focused on the promise and I'm walking in the perks of my sonship. Praise God. 